would be enjoying this um, nice weather outside, but since we can't go to the zoo, we can't get down university, we might as well be here reading God's Word and sharing together. I did get to see my grandson last week, and then I got to see my granddog last night. My son and daughter-in-law have a new golden retriever puppy, and he's precious and darling, and he already is about three months old, can fetch and sit and stay, and he just follows them around, and you can tell that he is going to be a faithful friend to Ben and Erin. And it made me think of the dogs that I've had in the past, and, and dogs can be a very faithful friend. But as I read through chapter 26 of Deuteronomy this week, I am reminded that the one who is most faithful to us is the Lord God himself. And that's what we're going to be looking at today with Deuteronomy chapter 26. This is week 10 of our 16-week study um, in this book of Deuteronomy. We said that this is the book that Jesus quoted from the most often. He quoted from it when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And he quoted it again when he was questioned by his enemies in Matthew 22. And Deuteronomy is one of the four most often quoted books in the uh, New Testament. The others are Psalms and Isaiah and Genesis. Deuteronomy is a key book for understanding the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. Before I really studied Deuteronomy, I told you this before, I just thought of it as this book of lots of laws, some of them random without making much sense, and I kind of avoided it. But once I began to really study the book of Deuteronomy, I began to see God's great love and his mercy and his faithfulness. Have you seen that as well as you've studied the book of Deuteronomy? It's kind of a revelation. It may not be what you expect. But in this book, we see God's great faithfulness. In Deuteronomy, we see God's great desire to bless his people, to set them apart as holy people, and to bless them with all good things. In Deuteronomy, we see God's great faithfulness. I appreciated your testimonies this morning, your testimonies to God's faithfulness. And I love it that we sang, Great is Thy Faithfulness. That is a verse that comes from Lamentations 3.23, and it's on your verse sheet. And it says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This... Um, Lamentations is a book that Jeremiah wrote lamenting the devastation of Jerusalem when the Babylonians came in to take them into captivity. And in the midst of these laments, we see Jeremiah recognizing and praising God for his faithfulness. We read um, many verses about God's faithfulness, and I have a few others on our verse sheet this morning. Psalm 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God is abounding in faithfulness. And because God is faithful, his word is faithful. And we read in 2 Samuel 7.28, O sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy. And you have promised these good things to your servant. Your words are trustworthy, O Lord. In our homework, Lynn had us look at the different evidences of God's faithfulness. 
We saw that he is faithful to keep us strong in Christ. God is faithful to complete the good work that he began in us. And that good work is to make us more and more like Jesus. We read that God is faithful to strengthen and protect the believer from the evil one. He will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear, but instead provides a way out for us. And I just want to take a second to say if you're in the middle of a temptation, if you're in a place that you know you shouldn't be, um, could be many things, then I would suggest to you right now that you would just stop and pray and ask God to show you a way out. And be willing to do what he shows you. You know, once you read that verse in 2 Corinthians, we don't really have an excuse anymore to say, I don't know how that happened. I never meant for that to happen. I never meant to do that. Now we have this opportunity because we can read here that we can go to God and say, Lord, show me a way out of this temptation. And my very favorite verse on God's faithfulness on your verse sheet is 2 Timothy 2.13, and it says, If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. God remains faithful. Faithfulness is one of God's chief characteristics. A definition of faithfulness in my topical Bible says this, It's remaining steadfast to one's commitments. So God's faithfulness refers primarily to his reliability In keeping his promises. And we see this so vividly in the book of Deuteronomy. God keeping his promises. So let's turn to chapter 26. And we're going to start with verse 1. And with this lesson today, we are wrapping up this section of Deuteronomy that we have called the detailed laws. The detailed laws began in chapter 12. And they've gone all the way through to chapter 26. And Lynn Kitchens has done a great job helping us to understand and make sense out of these detailed laws. We've learned that God in his love and faithfulness to the Israelites gave them these laws so that the Israelites would know how to live in this land promised to them since the time of Abraham. How to live as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, his treasured possession. We've seen Moses, um, you remember, that he is standing um, on the banks of the Jordan and he's addressing the Israelites, the children of God, as they stand in the plain of Moab. And this is after 40 years wandering through the wilderness, coming from Egyptian captivity to this freedom and blessing of the promised land. And Moses, more than anything, wants them to listen carefully to hear the word of God and remember it. To remember God's word of love and mercy and blessing and faithfulness. Warren Wiersbe says that Moses was helping God's people develop hearts of love for the Lord. Because if they loved him, they would obey him. Ladies, we know that love is a powerful motivator. It is a great motivation to love. So Moses tells them over and over that God will bless their faithfulness if they obey him. But Moses also warns them that their disobedience, their turning away from God, would result in dire consequences. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience 
leads to discipline. And as Lynn told us last week, that even discipline is God's, comes from God's love and faithfulness. That it's a loving thing because his discipline was to turn their hearts back to their God. In this section of detailed laws from chapters 12 through 26, we have seen God give them laws on how to worship him, laws on how to live as his treasured possession, a holy people, a people that were set apart from the others in the land. He told them how, what kind of government to have and what kind of leadership. And it was to be fair and just. And he gave them laws that demonstrated love because the Israelites were to reflect God's love in their life and in their faith. So let's begin reading verse 21. I mean, verse 1 of chapter 26. Verse 1 says, When you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, Now, let's stop right there because I want to look at a few things. Um, You see, Moses is standing on the banks of the Jordan. Uh, They have not yet entered the land, but soon they will. Soon they would be entering into this land that God had promised them. And I also wanted to point out to you um, that word Lord. You might notice in your Bible, most Bibles do this. It's in all capital letters. The Hebrews had many names for God. And we just usually say God or Lord, and it's kind of too bad because these names of God really point out his character and who he is, and it's beautiful. And when you see in the Bible, Lord, all in caps, this is the Hebrew word for God that is Yahweh. Yahweh, that's the name that God told Moses when he said, Moses said, who shall I say is sending me when I get to Pharaoh? And God said, tell him, I am who I am. Tell him, I am is sending you. And so the Jews put some letters together, and it was um, without vowels. But when we put vowels in there, it comes out to be Yahweh. So it connotes this personal name of God, this God that was near to them, God who intervenes for his people. If you see Lord and O-R-D is in small letters, then that is the Hebrew word for God that is Adonai. And that means master. Sometimes in your Bible, you might see, O Sovereign Lord. And when you see that, that is probably Adonai Yahweh put together. So I just thought I'd throw that out to you because I love that. We see all through this chapter 26, Lord, in all capital letters. So we know that Moses is saying Yahweh, Yahweh, the personal, intervening God of the Israelites. So let's go on, and we're going to read verse 2. And in this chapter, we see two more things that they are to do once they get in to the promised land. And the first we're going to see in chapter 2. Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you, and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. And say to the priest in office at that time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. And then you shall declare before the Lord your God, and there's these words that they are to repeat. So you see that when they get in the land, this is going to be a one-time thing they are to do. The very first time they harvest their crops, their first fruits, they are to put them in a basket and take them to this central 
sanctuary. Whatever it was, grapes, olives, figs, barley, whatever they were growing, they'd take in the basket and take to the central sanctuary. Now, this uh, probably, if you look in Joshua, you see that Joshua sets up this tabernacle in Shiloh. So probably many of them went to Shiloh to take these first fruits. But we know that eventually King David is going to take that ark to, of the covenant to Jerusalem and set the tabernacle up there. And then his son Solomon would build the temple and that would be the permanent dwelling place of the ark of the covenant. So they're taking this basket of first fruits and then they're going to make this declaration, a confession. And I've called it on your outline, a confession of faith and gratitude. So let's look at it. They're going to repeat these very words that say, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Now I'll stop for a second. That wandering Aramean, their father, that refers to Jacob. Jacob, who was the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham. Now, he's called that probably because you might remember that God called Abraham out of Ur with his family to go to Canaan. But they stopped on the way in Haran, or it's called Aram. And his family stayed there, and only Abraham, Sarah, and his nephew Lot went on to Canaan. So his family stayed in Aram. So when his son Isaac needed a wife... Abraham sent his servant back to Aram, and the servant brought back Rebekah. And then Rebekah and Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And when Jacob needed a wife and also needed a place to run because his brother Esau was very angry with him, um, she sent him back to Aram. And there Jacob lived for 20 years, and he took two wives, Leah and her sister Rachel. And then we know that Jacob had... 12 sons. And when they went into Egypt, the 12 sons and their 12 wives and their children, they were only 70 of them. And we read that in Genesis 46:27. I don't have that on your verse sheet, but in Genesis 46:27 it tells us that there were 70 of them that went to Egypt. This was during the time of the famine. But when the book of Exodus opens 400 years later, there are 2 million Hebrews. Two million from this family of Jacob. And they were so numerous that Exodus tells us that the um, Egyptians became fearful of them. And so they put them in, a, in slavery. And we see this in the declaration that they were um, oppressed. But they called out to God, to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. And then verse 8 says, So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. And then they are to place the basket before the Lord their God and bow down before him. You see them talking about the miraculous signs and wonders that God did. That refers to Moses coming out to deliver them and the ten plagues that got sent to, um, to Pharaoh and to Egypt so that Pharaoh would let God's people go. And then we know of the miraculous 
working of the Red Sea being parted and the Israelites going through on dry land. And then when the Egyptian army that was pursuing them got in the Red Sea, the waters came back on top of them and destroyed them. That would have brought terror to the land of Egypt. Miraculous signs and wonders and goodness and faithfulness of God that they are remembering in this. And it says that they bow down. And that word, bow down, means to prostrate oneself in submission to one in higher authority. That's what they were doing. On your outline I have is the Israelites made this confession. They remembered God's faithfulness from the past. This confession of faith and gratitude reminded them of God's faithfulness in the past. And then verse 11 tells us they were to celebrate with grateful hearts. They were to rejoice with thanksgiving with all the good things that God had given them, remembering to share with those that were in need. You know, this reminded me of a holiday we celebrate. Did any of you think of that? With the basket and the fruit and thanking Thanksgiving? Were you thinking that, Beth? I I put kind of a basket on my table at Thanksgiving with the, you know, oranges and apples coming out of it. And it's interesting to me, but I looked up in the World Book Encyclopedia. Those of you that are young in the room probably don't know what an encyclopedia is, but it's what we used before we could Google anything we wanted on the uh, Internet. Anyway, in the, um, in the World Book, it said Thanksgiving is a holiday that's celebrated in the United States and Canada. It's a time when people look back over the year and see how God has blessed them, and they remember to thank God. That was pretty amazing that that was in my encyclopedia. But that is what we do. I think that's what probably all of us in the room do at Thanksgiving. We sit down, just like the pilgrims did with the Indians. We sit down with our families and loved ones, and we might have those that are in need come and sit down with us. And we look back and we think about what God has done for us. We look back and see the faithfulness in that he has been in our lives, and we thank him for that. But, you know, you don't want to wait just until Thanksgiving to do that. We need to remember God's faithfulness and thank him on a regular basis. We need to teach our children to look and see God's faithfulness in their lives and in our lives and to thank him for that. You know, we want to remember to give back to God with grateful hearts some of what he has given us. And we can do that in the form of an offering that we give to church or to other ministries. We can do that in the form of our time. Give something back to God. And then also I thought of a way that we might do this, uh, and it is praying to God just thanksgiving. Taking some times of prayer and just thanking God. Don't ask him for anything. Don't um, confess anything. Just thank God. And that reminds me of a story from a women's retreat and Let me just put in a commercial for the women's retreat. That is coming up April 3rd, 4th, and 5th, and you all do not want to miss it. It is a wonderful time. It's a wonderful time because it's a great time of spiritual refreshment. There's always a great speaker. It's also a wonderful time because it's fun, and you get to talk to your friends and catch up and eat other people's food that they've cooked for you and meet new people. So the retreat is a wonderful time. Please sign up. I think you can sign up after this, and I know that you won't uh, you won't be sorry. I have never missed a women's retreat, and I think how many is this? Is this 26 or 27? There's a lot. 
So you don't want to miss it. Start now if you've never been and come to the retreat. But anyway, on retreat, I think it was retreat number two, the speaker, so it was many years ago, the speaker was talking about prayer. And so she gave us this assignment to go back to our room with our roommates and to go in a circle and to take a few minutes and just thank God for his faithfulness in our lives. And then we were to go downstairs because it was Friday night and that's always the big snack night. So we were to go get the snacks. Well, I go to my room and Lynn Kitchens is my roommate along with Cheryl Michael. And so we sit in a circle and we begin to thank God. Now, I thought we said Lynn was going to close this, and she thought I was going to close it. So we began. Lynn would thank God. I would thank God. Cheryl would thank God. Lynn would thank God. Cheryl. And it went on and on and on and on. Probably, literally, women, 20 or 30 minutes. We missed the snacks. 20 or 30 minutes, we're going around. And I'm sitting there thinking, when is Lynn going to close this as I you know, continue to thank God? And finally, Cheryl, sitting next to me, says, and God, I thank you for my kindergarten teacher. <laughs> well, I did that very thing. I cracked up laughing. I couldn't. I started laughing, and we all looked up. And Lynn says, Deb, I thought you were going to close it. And I said, no, you were supposed to close it. And Cheryl, with her hands up, says, please, someone close it. I've gone all the way back to kindergarten to thank God. We laugh at that, but I think it is a good exercise that we might not always practice. Maybe you do, but I know that I don't just sit and pray and thank God for his faithfulness in my life. So we might want to do that. As God's children today, we must remember God's faithfulness often and thank him. Thank him. That is on your outline. So let's go on to the second thing that we're to do, that they are to do in the promised land. And we read that in verse 12. When you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Then say to the Lord your God, so now we're going to see the second confession they are to make. Now, we've already... Uh, talked about this law, this law that on the third year they would take a tithe that would be for the needy in their own towns. We read this back in chapter 14. Lynn told us about it. And we know that they were to take a tithe every year, and that would be for the um, priests and the Levites at the central sanctuary. But every third year, this tithe would be for the poor and the needy in their land. And so this confession there to make is either a one-time confession that they would do that first um, year, third year of the tithe, or it's an addition to that law that they were to do this every third year with this tithe that they uh, took up to give in their towns to those that were needy. Uh, those that were needy are represented by the Levites. They were the ones that we've talked about that didn't have any land of their own. They were spread out through all of the other um, tribes. They were the ones that were going to remind the people of God's law and to take care of the temple. They also were to take care of the strangers that were in those towns. Those were the foreigners that were living among them. And the orphans and the widows that were there. They were the ones that would not be able to provide for themselves. God's people were, were to care for them. And then in verse 13, this is what they are to confess. I have removed from my house the sacred portion and have given it to the Levite, the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all you commanded. 
I have not turned aside from your commandments, nor have I forgotten any of them. I have not eaten any of the sacred portion while I was in mourning, nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean, nor have I offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the Lord my God. I have done everything you commanded me. Look down from heaven, your holy dwelling place, and bless your people Israel and the land you have given us, as you promised on oath to our forefathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is a confession of generosity. Now, the middle part of this confession is thought to be maybe because of some of the pagan rituals um, that were going on around them in that time, something that would be unholy and God was trying to protect them from. We don't really know. I couldn't find any commentaries that really had any insight on that. But what we do know is that it was to be taken up in a serious fashion, that this tithe was serious. It was not to be taken lightly, but rather it was to be done with dignity and with obedience to God. And then they end their confession by praying to God for continued blessing. This confession of generosity caused the Israelites to look for God's faithfulness in the present. On your outline, that second thing is in the present. They would remember God's faithfulness and see that he is a promise keeper, a faithful God. So what is the application for us as believers today? I think one way we can face the future with confidence is by looking for God's faithfulness in the present. On your outline, Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I just want to take one minute to go um, and look at what are these things that will be added to us? And we see that as we go up and read a few verses. So starting, I'm just, you don't have to turn to it, but this is Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. I just want to read what we're talking about here. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. As I came back from the woodlands last week, the blue bonnets had started, and as I looked at that field of blue bonnets, I thought, there is nothing that I put on that's more beautiful than this field of blue bonnets. God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. God is telling us there that He is going to take care of us. God is faithful. We need to be faithful to Him first of all. First of all, we need to follow after God to seek God and his righteousness and all these other things will come along. 
When we seek the Lord and follow him in righteousness, he is going to provide for us. Look for God's faithfulness in your life. Look for his provision and share with those who have less than you. And there's always someone that has less than you. I know some of you may be in really difficult times, but there's always someone that has less. It reminds me of the story of Jesse. When uh, the leadership team went to Tanzania, we worked with a couple named Justin and Anna, and they had a son, Jesse. And last year, Jesse came to Fort Worth to go to seminary at Southwestern Seminary. Well, he showed up with a little tiny suitcase. That's all he had. And Dar es Salaam is not cold, and so he didn't really have warm clothes for the winter. So all of us leadership people got together our long shirts and warm coats, and we gave all this to Jesse. So he had a whole pile of stuff. The next time I saw Jesse and asked him how he was doing, he said, oh, fine. I only needed one coat, so I gave all the rest to the other international students at the seminary who have much less than me. It was a great reminder for us to think, you know, he came with one small suitcase. That was all the clothes that he had. And yet, he looked around and saw that the other international students had much less than him. Look around and find someone that has less than you and And give them some of yours. Take some of what you have and give it to someone in need. And this can be a teaching opportunity for your children. When you do this, we're reminded of God's faithfulness. You're thinking about how God has been faithful in your life. Maybe your children would want to give away a toy or some of their clothes to someone that has less than him. Because the recipients also see God's faithfulness. When we share with others out of God's faithfulness to us, they see this. They see God's faithfulness as well. Max Anders says that every demonstration of God's faithfulness is an opportunity for us to testify about him to others. It's an opportunity to testify to him. If you're in a hard spot right now during this hard economic time, don't waste this opportunity to look for God's faithfulness in the midst of it. And this is also a perfect time for all of us to look around and to find someone in need and to be generous. Remembering to do this with dignity and in seriousness. On your outline I have, as God's children of today, we must be generous to those in need as we look for God's faithfulness daily. Look for God's faithfulness in your life every day. So now let's look at these last four verses in chapter 26. And this is Moses bringing them back to the present. Moses is um, going to sum up all the law that he has given them to this point. Now, it started way back in chapter 5. That's where we began the basic laws. And then in chapter 12, we began the detailed laws. So all those laws he's going to sum up in verse 16. The Lord your God commands you this day to follow these decrees and laws. Carefully observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Moses has been telling them throughout Deuteronomy that it is their heart that God wants. It's our heart. In chapter 4, verse 9, we read, Don't let the things of God slip from your heart. And in chapter 6, verse 5, we read, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your soul. And in chapter 11, verse 1, we read, Love the Lord your God and keep 
his requirements. God didn't just give them these laws so that he could sit back and say, well, that ought to keep him busy for a while. No, he gave them the law because he wanted them to focus on him. He wanted the Israelites to love him and to be in relationship with him because that's what God wanted, to be in relationship with the Israelites so he could bless them. It was about their heart. Verse 17 says, You have declared this day that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways, that you will keep his decrees, his commands and laws, and that you will obey him. So I think that somewhere between verse 16 and verse 17, the people standing on the banks of the Jordan made a commitment to accept this covenant that God was making with them. And we, this would make sense because in chapter 5, when Moses started out, he said this covenant, it's not just for your forefathers, the ones that were disobedient and had died off. It was for them as well. And Moses would call them to a recommitment to this covenant. And I think that that is what happened, and that's what he's referring to here. They made a confession of commitment to love and obey God. They had accepted their part of the covenant, their responsibility to love and obey God. And then in verse 18, we see God's part. And the Lord has declared this day that you are his people, his treasured possession as he promised, and that you are to keep all his commands. We see here that God has already kept his part. God has already been faithful. Time and again, the Israelites have seen God keep his promises. God's word had proven faithful. God had no obligation to keep, but rather in grace, he had blessings to bestow on the Israelites. Blessings to bestow. And we read about that in verse 19. He has declared that he will set you in praise, fame and honor, high above all the nations he has made, and that you will be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. The Israelites anticipate God's faithfulness in the future. In the future. God had great things planned for Israel. But time after time, through rebellion and disobedience and stubbornness, generation after generation forfeited their right to be exalted over the nations. They missed out on the blessings God had for them. And instead, they were oppressed. They were taken into captivity. They suffered much hardship. But God is not finished with Israel yet. Some theologians think that in Isaiah chapter 60 through 62, it talks about a time in the future when God will raise up a generation of faithful Israelites and bless them. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, that this generation of faithful Israelites will enjoy God's grace in a golden age of blessing. This is referring to the millennial kingdom. When Christ comes back the second time. You know, Jesus Christ came the first time to usher in the new covenant. To establish the new covenant. And we read about that in Jeremiah 31, verse 33. It says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Verse 31 of chapter 31 talks calls this the new covenant. 
And then we read about that new covenant in Hebrews 10, verses 8 through 10. It says, first he said, and this is the author of Hebrews is talking about a conversation that Jesus had with the Father. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. And then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. Then the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus set aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus came to set aside the first covenant and to bring in the second covenant, the new covenant. And that his sacrifice, his death on the cross, his shed blood was atonement for our sin, and that sacrifice is once and for all. Once we accept the sacrifice of Jesus through faith, we are under the new covenant, and we are God's treasured possession. We are God's treasured possession. 1 John 3, 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Ephesians 3.6 kind of explains this a little better. This mystery is that through the gospel, the gospel, that's the good news of the work of Christ on the cross, the gospel, the Gentiles, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promises in Christ Jesus. We are heirs with Israel. And then in Psalm 135.4, it says, For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession. In that place of Israel, you can put your name. The Lord has chosen Deb to be his treasured possession. The Lord has chosen Shelley to be his treasured possession. Or Susan, or Karen, or Linda. Put your name in there, because we are God's treasured possession. Have you ever been anyone's treasured possession? My great-grandmother, when I was a little girl, used to call me. I was the first great-granddaughter, and she used to call me her little treasure. And I was just little, but I remember when she would say, my treasure, it made me feel very special. I felt dearly loved by my great-grandmother. We are God's treasured possession we're called the children of god and god has prepared blessings for each one of us as well in fact ephesians 1 3 tells us praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in christ every blessing but guess what ladies if we become unfaithful If we turn away from God, living our life, walking on our own path, if I have no thought of God, then I too am going to miss out on the good things God has for me. On your outline I wrote, as God's children today, we miss so much God has for us when we are not faithful to him. We ask for God's blessing all the time when we pray. The next time you ask that, ask yourself, is there some disobedience on my part that is hindering God blessing me? You know what the good news is? That verse in 2 Timothy 2.13, 
when I am faithless, when I turn away from God, he still remains faithful. Once we accept Christ, we are heaven-bound. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are not going to lose our salvation. But we can miss out on some of the blessings. When I came to TCU from Miami, Florida, I'd never been to Texas before, and I didn't know how much I was going to miss from home. One thing I missed was Florida oranges. Now, Florida oranges, I don't know that they're different than that other place on the other coast that has oranges. They're thin-skinned, and they're juicy, and they're delicious. And so my parents would send me boxes of Florida oranges, and I would put them under my bed and only share them with my roommate, and uh, I would eat these oranges from Florida. You know, I thought of this illustration. If my mom calls me up and she says, Deb, be looking for a package. I'm going to send you a box. And so in a couple days, I go into my house, and there's a box sitting by my front door. And I sort of have the passing thought, that's, that's probably the box from my mom. But I just walk on by. Because I'm busy, I have things to do, I'm not going to open that box. And I get busy, and I go out about my day, I kind of forget about it. And then the next day, I walk by it again and think, oh, the box, and just keep on going. And pretty soon, I've walked by it so many times, I don't even notice the box anymore. You know, if I had opened that box, I would have found Florida oranges. And I would have been so grateful, and I would have run to the phone, and I would have thanked my mom. Mom, thank you for sending me the oranges. Thank you for being so faithful to remember how I like oranges. And then I would have shared them with my family and my friends and anyone that came by, and maybe even the mailman. Say, hey, have a Florida orange. You know, that is how we are. God has great blessings for us. But we stop looking for his faithfulness in our lives. And we turn away from him, and we become unfaithful. How do we remain faithful? We learned this week that um, we can remain faithful by looking at God's word. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word helps us to remain faithful. Just what you all are doing here today, studying God's word. Remaining faithful to him. If there's one thing that you want to remember as you leave today, remember this. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so faithful. Your faithfulness is abounding. Father, you are faithful even when we are not. And Lord, we want to be faithful. So I pray, Father, on behalf of all of us in this room, that we would read your word, memorize it, study it, put it in our hearts, Father, so that we can remain faithful to you. Thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. Thank you for this chapter in Deuteronomy 26, where we see a confession of gratitude and generosity and a commitment to faithfulness. Father, that's the kind of people we want to be. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for how you bless us. And I just pray a special blessing on each of the women in this room. And I ask you, Father, to be with us in a mighty way. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, real quick. Deb already mentioned the retreat. And so we'll be back at the kiosk if you all want to come and sign up for that, April 3rd through the 5th.